Good morning, church. I'm out of town this morning, but I wanted to introduce our guest speaker. He is Gerald Altick. Gerald is one of the pastors on the staff of First Baptist Church in Houston. Gerald has a huge heart for God, fired up for Jesus, and I wish I was there to hear him personally. Would you please give Gerald a big welcome? morning. So good to be here. If you have your Bibles, or say, I say, since you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be in about verse 37, 38 here in a few moments. The kingdom of God is moving so rapidly. There is need around us on a regular basis. There's people who are hurting bound up, confused. And we as the people of God have been granted the incredible opportunity and privilege to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of those around us. Just as we jump in this morning, I've got about 150,000 things I want to say this morning, but I'm only going to give a few of them to you. It's a privilege to be here at Woods Edge Church. I just want you to know being in Houston and and hearing about the kingdom of God breaking out and the, and the movement of God and the mission movement out of here and all that God's doing. When pastor called and said, would you come up this weekend? I was thrilled. I was delighted to be a part, to stand here while he's out of the pulpit, to, to continue and to love you. And so I just want to applaud you in the name of Jesus and bless you as you as a people on mission and you would continue to go forward in all that he has for you and all that God is calling you to as you go forward. Many of us in life struggle with this balance of what I want to try to illustrate today is there's a part of our life that we know what the Bible says. We believe the Bible to say a certain amount of things and obviously it's truth and so we believe it. We're like, this is the word of God. This is what he's spoken to us and then what he's spoken to me as an individual. There's this whole element of belief. And then we begin to march over here on this other side and we look at how our life is lived, what we do, what we say, how we kind of live out. And what we often find is there's a gap in between what we believe and what we do. What we know to be true intellectually in our heart and our mind, kind of our theology or our disposition, what we know to be true about God and what he has spoken. And then we look at our lives and kind of how we live out all that God has told us to. And I submit to you this morning that the gap that is in between what you believe and what you do is defined as stress. Those of us who are in the kingdom of God, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the amount of space that's in between what you believe and what you do is typically what is going to keep you awake at night. It's going to bother you and how you think about your money or your relationships or how you think about your work environment or your school environment. It's going to, there's going to be a gap. The problem is, I submit to you, is the gap is way too broad inside the church in Western culture. That what we believe in, what we do, the gap's too far. And so you and I this morning have to, and my prayer is, is that this, was going, this is going to take a step towards an alignment today. It may not take all the steps. It may take them all today. I don't know where you are in your journey. But I'm going to tell you, in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond and, and, and try to close that gap of what we believe in, what we do. Because the last thing that we want to happen in our lives is that we believe one thing, but yet our lives are totally different from what we believe Jesus says he can and do. Four things I want to give you right here on the onset. This is free. This really isn't a part of my message, but it is kind of part of my message. So four things that I want you to put in your mind. You know these. These are elementary teachings. I'm just reminding you. Number one, we have a good father. 
We have a good, good father. That he is good and he gives good gifts to his children. He bestows his love towards us and he's moving towards us. He's not angry. He's not mad. God is in a good mood. And somebody needed to hear that today. So he's a good father. The second thing that you need to put in your mind, you already know this, just bring this element to your, to your conscience right here, is that Jesus paid for everything. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you name it, I can tell you completely and 100% Jesus paid for that. The problem is that sometimes we begin to think that he hasn't. We're just not so sure if he did. No, I submit Jesus paid for everything. If he didn't, <laughs> we're, we're all confused. Third thing, since he's a good father, since he paid for everything, I submit to you this morning that nothing is impossible with God. So wherever you're at in your rock and your hard place, wherever you are with your kids or your family or your spouse or, or wherever you are with your job or your employment or culture or society, I submit to you, nothing is impossible for God. We serve a God that actually works in places where the odds seem to be against him because he's a God who says, I will show up when you think I can't. I will deliver when you don't think I can't. I will heal when you will finally turn to me. I will do what I want. Nothing is impossible for our God. So I'm asking, I'm believing that your faith is rising even right now, that God wants to do something in your midst, in your family, in your home, in your life, in your heart right now today. Nothing is impossible. You may say, Gerald, I don't understand. You're great. I may not understand, but I serve a God that understands completely. And nothing is impossible for him. The fourth thing, that each and every one of you in here is special in the kingdom of God. One of my heart's passions is to remove the idea of Christian celebrities. Let's just, let's just get that out of there. No, the Holy Spirit's in me. Holy Spirit's in you. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's the same Holy Spirit that wants to use you to minister like he uses me to minister. And all of us have gifts given to us, at least one, many of us more, that we would live out and be special people. All of you in here are special in the kingdom of God. Do y'all clap here or not? Because you can clap. It's all right. You can be free in here. I'm good with that. It's okay. The more you talk, the more I'll talk. It'll be all good. I just want you to know that whole special part, I just sense right now in the Holy Spirit that there's somebody in here who's been kicking around that idea of suicide. And you're special in the kingdom of God. You don't have to go there. Yeah, your feelings are valid. I get it. But you're special in the kingdom of God. Things have been slated against you. It's okay. I promise you, we'll stand in the gap and I'll pray for you today. Other people stand in the gap for you. You don't, you don't, it's okay. There's a people that will stand with you, but more importantly, God believes you're special. And I'm telling you, those who are highly oppressed of the enemy are typically those who God wants to use mightily in the kingdom of God. So I just give that as a sense of hope. You with me back there, sister? You got a good, you got a good head nod back there. I like that in the name of Jesus. Somebody watching online, I just want you to know that's for you. You don't have to, you're not alone. You are not alone. You are special in the kingdom of God. So those are free and those are for just an element for us to set in as we enter in. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13 is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. One of my buddies told me that if Christmas was Jesus' birthday, Pentecost was the Holy Spirit's birthday. That was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the body of Christ. 
Then we begin to pick up of Peter proclaiming the gospel, preaching the message to Israel. And I just want to submit to you, isn't it amazing that God truly does use the weak things of the world to shame the wise? Paul called Paul, Jesus called Paul, who was a Jew, to not minister to the Jew, but to minister to the Gentile. And God called Peter, all right, to minister to the Jews, who was a Gentile. It's like, God, did you get that backwards? No, God, no, God didn't get that backwards. God knew exactly what he was doing. He was pouring out his power to a people who would be amazed by the goodness of God. So Peter's preaching to the Israel here. He's challenging him. He's communicating the story of the redemptive hand of God. And you get to verse 36, and here's what he says. Therefore, kind of puts a finger in their chest. Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they came under deep conviction. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? I want to focus in on the word deep conviction, deep pain. I want to ask the question this morning is this. Would you as a, how are you responding to the gospel? Because I believe the people that I'm around They believe certain things. They do certain different things. And so what we're experiencing is an under-response to the call of God in our lives. We're just under-responding. Now, I know there's this idea in culture that we want to kind of have this third-way Christianity. You got the way that's like, well, I don't want to be too bad because I want to keep some reputation. But I don't want to be too radical because those guys are just kind of weird. I'll just kind of settle in right here and the status quo. Like, I won't pray too much, but I definitely won't be too that. Are y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's how your neighbor is, right? But as the people of God, we don't want to create a third way. I submit to you, the Bible has nowhere, no third way Christianity. When Jesus saves and redeems a life, get filled with the Spirit. When, he, when you come into a relationship with him, your life is on mission to tell the good news of the gospel. It's not, I just want to become casual and comfortable and have this reputation that I'm kind of a good guy. I'm not going to be too crazy radical. I'm just going to kind of love whenever it's convenient. I'll kind of give whenever it's convenient. I'll kind of live wherever it's convenient. And I just tell you, convenience living in American Western Christianity is actually causing us to be laughed at among the people, to have a church that doesn't have power, and to see nothing of the outpouring of God amongst us as the people of God. So this morning, we want to close the gap. When we hear the word of God, we want to be a people that respond with deep conviction, a deep pain. I'll never forget when I was 15, the gospel was presented to me and, and I was under conviction. Now, for those of you who don't go to church a lot, you've never heard that word. It's literally like there's this pain in my, in my, in my spirit, in my heart. I'm like, do I live? I don't want to go to sleep. I may die. I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should walk outside my house today. I mean, it's just this agony, this, I mean, something in my heart needed to change and I didn't know what to do. But I was asking the question, what must I do? And that's what we do as the people of God. When we hear the word of God, we want to be people who respond to the word of God. This is the anthem of James in James chapter one, that we would not just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word. The last thing that I want in my family, I got two boys, six and eight, my wife and I, miracle story of why we, how we have two boys. Amazing story. But what I don't want to be said about me and my family is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. That they had a form of godliness, but they denied his power. 
And I'm just going to tell you, the churches across America, they're, they're full of a form of godliness. But we're denying his power in so many areas. Can we just stop doing ministry referral to people? You have the Spirit of God in you. I have the Spirit of God in me. When your neighbor has a need, you can step in in that moment equipped by the Spirit of God and pray and minister and love and encourage in that moment. It's kind of like your neighbor next to you say, man, I just cut my arm off. Do you, do, can, can, you, can you do something for me in this moment? Well, I don't know if I can, but I'll go tell my neighbor to call 911 for you. No, I'll do that. I'll respond a moment in, the, in, the, in that moment. That we would be a people that no longer just have a form of godliness and denies power. We would be a people who are godly and we do walk in the power of God. That we are living our lives in such a way that when people look into our lives, they go, what is so different about them? Because I'm just telling you, it's easy to pray good prayers with no power. It's easy to be nice and, and not live in the power of God. We see it happen all the time. So we wonder, why is the Spirit of God not breaking in in these moments? Because we continue to under-respond. Because see, when we under-respond, what we would rather do is we would just rather cover up our brokenness rather than get restored from our brokenness. Now, you know what's going to happen over the next few months here in Houston? There's going to be auto mechanic guys who are going to try to fix up cars just enough to sell them. They may not totally rebuild them like they should or make sure they're running properly. There's going to be people who are going to go in and grab houses and, and, and they're going to put some paint and those, those boards are still rotten. They're just going to try to put some paint on the outside. Or they may even put siding on the rotten boards over it to make it look good. And that's often what we do in our spiritual journey. There's areas in our lives that we know we're broken. And so rather than becoming restored and letting, and letting ourselves be exposed, we would just rather cover ourselves up and not let anybody know that we're broken. But in reality, all of us are broken in here. There's not, no, not one of you that is righteous apart from Jesus Christ. We all have, we all have things that have come against us that are insecurities and weaknesses and, and things that were done to us that shouldn't have been done to us and things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. But rather than hiding them, we should just ask God to restore those areas. Rather than covering up our brokenness, we step in and go, no, what must we do? There's deep conviction in my heart. What, do, what can I do to get this right in my heart? How can this happen? I want to be a person who, when I hear the word of God, I want to come under deep conviction and the pain. I want to say, no, there has to be a change in my life. We have a culture that is fearful of being exposed. So we just hide. We don't, we don't ever let anybody know what's going on. We don't open our hearts or our minds or our, our homes or our, ourselves to anyone. And so then we live alone lives, confused lives, not really living at that passionate level that God has called us to. There is so much opportunity and faith in this room. There's so many people equipped with goodness that if we were to go at it this week, just this week alone, just the people in this room alone, we would see truly so many miracles, so much power of God breaking out. They couldn't record the videos fast enough. They couldn't write the book fast enough. They couldn't stop the movement of God. So I'm challenging you today, would you take a step and say, I'm not going to under-respond. I'm going to respond appropriately to the word of God. So then, let me just say this. You know, the world's trying to disciple you. Can I just say this? The world is trying to disciple you. Here's five ways the world's trying to disciple you. They're trying to move you from faith to doubt, from love to insecurity, from community to individualism, from generosity to greed, 
and from rest to exhaustion. See, there's no uncontested space in, in, in culture right now. There's no uncontested space at all. That's how the world is trying to disciple you. They want to ma- the world wants to make you exhausted, wants to make you greedy, wants you to be an individual person, wants you to be someone who struggles with great insecurity and doubt. If that defines you, I would say you're being, being discipled by the world rather than discipling the world. So we as the people of God, how do we then live out and live this call that God has for us? I'm going to give it to you. It's a little acronym, and it spells the word comic. It's not, com- it's not comedy at any level. Now, I love comedy, but it's not comic at any level. But it does say, here, here it is. Here's a little acronym if you, for those of you who like to write this down. Christians on mission in community. Christians on mission in community. Your call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, comes as being in community. Now, I'm not talking about people you see once a week. I'm not talking about people you may even see twice a week. I'm talking about people in your lives daily, which is such a weird thing in American culture. You mean you're going to talk to someone every day? You're going to share things with people every day. You might even share a meal with people. Yeah. Because you know what Jesus called? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me to the synagogue and I'll teach you. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There was a following, a calling of community. And so if you don't have a missional community or a small group or a life group or whatever y'all call your groups that meet, not just regularly, you need to get in one and be known by somebody so that they can love you, care for you, and every once in a while kick you. Nobody's perfect in here. We all know that. Nobody's perfect in here. But you got to be close enough. You know why? First point in community is this. Here's three things that happen in community. Number one, it's where you will be exposed. Your brokenness will be exposed. But that is the place that God will bring healing. I mean, you, if you hang out in community long enough, you're going to watch people get antsy about money, freak about their kids, have a problem with a coworker, stress about their weight, complain about their hair. I mean, it's going to be the most amazing thing that's going to happen. <laughs> Your laughter gives you away. But that's when your brokenness is exposed, right? And so out of that, that's also the place that your brokenness becomes restored, not just covered. Because the real Christians, friends, say, oh, it's glad you're miserable. I hope you stay the rest of your life. No! As Christians, we go, I'm going to journey with you and love you through it thick and thin. I love you just the way you are, but I'm going to see God do something greater in your life. Because Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to keep you that way. So question simple, are you, are you in community? The design for the Lone Ranger was never the intention of God. It's the plan of the devil. To separate and divide. I mean, I mean, there's people literally that I text message every day. Like there's a group of us that we text message every day. Like, like, like junior high students almost. It's like talking, texting, connecting. There's a couple that lives across the hallway from, from where my wife and I live in Houston in a condo. They moved in there because we wanted to be together. We have breakfast every Tuesday and Thursday morning together, talking, praying, sharing about life. Got another couple that lives like three minutes from us. We're literally, we're with people all, all the time. Like, Gerald, you just must be some weird, weird person that's an extrovert and is, needs people. Well, that may be true. Oh, come on, don't laugh. But it's a reality. It makes me a whole person because it begins to see where my brokenness gets exposed. 
And if we can't be a people who allows our brokenness to be exposed in community, then we're never going to be a people that offers the world a place for their brokenness to become restored. Second thing that happens in community is that this is the place in where you get trained as a disciple for Jesus Christ. This past weekend, we were in Florida, my wife and I and our family, my boys walking in from the beach into the, back to the pool, and he steps in a little slat and he rips his toenail off. He didn't rip it off from the front to the back. He ripped it off from the cuticle forward. Yeah, I know. Sorry. But hey, so I scoop him up. We go upstairs. I talk him off the ledge for an hour. Like, Dad, don't touch him. I'm like, I got to touch it. I got to clean it. We got sand. We got stuff. We got, we got to get this off. And literally, it's like me. But he's like, you're not a doctor. I said, I want you to know I am a doctor today. I'm a child of the Holy Spirit, the living God. He's the great physician. His spirit is in me. We're on mission. What do missionaries do? They handle the problem. Are you with me? He looks at me. I'm like, I'm good. I got this. He's like, you've never done this before. I said, I got it. So I sit there for an hour and finally get it clipped off and all the agony and the struggle and on and on and on. He had tension in that moment. He's like, Dad, you've never done this before. I didn't tell him I'd never done that before. I just own it in the moment. But if you were going to go in and have heart surgery and your doctor walked in, you're like, hey, this is my first time. I've never done this before. Never watched anybody do it. I've never had anybody watch me to do it. You would have no need for an anesthesiologist in that moment. You'd pass slick out. (laughs) By no means would you want someone to do open heart surgery on you if they've never done it. Someone who's in medical school, they read the books. Yeah, they learn this valve and that heart and this thing and that and the other. But then the real learning takes place in the operating room when they're just standing there for hours, not giving any advice. They're just watching. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's weird. Oh, I don't know about that. And then after they've done that a few hundred times, then guess what? They go into the operating room and they have doctors all around them who say, don't do that. Do do that. Oh, that's good. And then by the time they get to the one where they lead and they're alone, not that any of them are ever alone, but you know what I'm saying, they have lots of training. Because you see, in community, if we expect our medical doctors to be trained, how much more so is we as the people of God who see the power of God being poured out in our lives submit ourselves to being on mission and learning in community? that we would be a people that says, you know what, I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, I encourage you to quit learning another tactic in a classroom and go to the streets and start sharing the good news. I promise it'll grow you up really fast. You're like, I want to learn to pray for people. Well, start praying for people. You're like, I want to see the demonic out of people's lives. Well, just start praying and see what happens. So be careful. Don't have Acts 17 happen in your life. But anyway, you can read that. on your own. Sons of Sceva. But this is where it's it's Christians on mission in community. The on mission part is you will be a person who learns to to respond in the moment in real time. We have to be a people. You're like, we just don't need to know how to do it in a classroom. You got to know how to do it on the mission field. Now I'm a missions pastor. That's where I'm at at First Baptist, doing a bunch of mobilizations internationally, nationally, and here in the city. And it's amazing to me when we go on a trip with people who are first time people who've never been on a mission trip. And we've prayed and we've talked and we've trained and then we get to the mission field and everything changes. That didn't quite go as we want and that didn't quite go as we want. And then they begin to see the power of God happen. And then they come home and they go, or even on the trip, I, 
I'm like, spit it out. Come on. Why don't we see this stuff happening in Houston? I say, well, <laughs> you're not living on mission in Houston. They look at me. And what I mean by that is, when you're on a mission trip, you're engaged, you're willing, you're ready. If someone's praying, you're going to get in on it. If someone's sharing the gospel, you want to be a part of it. If, you, if someone's passing out something, you're in. You're just like, I'm engaging. But if you come back home, you're like, no, nah, I'm just chilling. I don't really do that, just only on mission trips. Then you've missed the point. When you live on mission here, you're going to pray for people who are sick. You're going you're to love people who are hurting. You're going to care for the needs of those around us. You're going to share the good news of the gospel. You're going to see the power of God break in and through your life on a daily, regular basis. And if it's not, you're living below God's call in your life. I'm just committing that to you. That's not kind, but it's right. Our dinner home and our table at our house... We talk about the word of God and I'm asking my boys, I'm asking my wife, they're asking me, how are you a part of the kingdom of God today? And we're talking about people we prayed for, people we shared with, people we had conversations with, people that we were giving hope to, people that we were blessing today, people who tried to attack us today and how we responded rightly, people who made fun of us today and how we are gonna pray for our enemies and all of those things. If those conversations aren't happening at dinner table, number one, create a dinner table. Number two, get your family to at the dinner table and say, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And you know who this is the hardest for? Dads. Dads, I just submit to you, your role in life is not just to make money. Your role in life is to parent disciple. You to parent your kids. You to disciple them and love them and own their hearts. They've got a PVC pipe coming out of their heart and they're looking to attach that somewhere. Are you going to let them attach it to anything in the world? Or are you going to let them attach it to you and your spouse? that you would own these moments as the kingdom of God, that you would say, we're going to be on mission. We're Christians on mission in community. My kids ask all the time, hey, can we hang out with so-and-sos? Can we hang out with so-and-sos? That's just a part of their culture and their DNA. If too many days go by, they're like, why haven't we seen so-and-so? What's going on? Why can't we be with the people that love us, care about us, and know us? You should be known like that, not just once a week, not even just twice a week. There should be more moments where you are connecting, talking, praying, and worshiping together, seeing the kingdom of God break in in your life and in your community's life. And you're on mission. praying, learning how to pray. Hey, you learn how to pray. If you're like, I've never done this before. Just get in line. Just start listening to how people pray. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Learn. You know what? The sad thing is, as many of you went all week and you never prayed for another person. Think about it. You, you just never said, hey, can I pray for you right now? I about missed my sons at bath the other night in the baseball all-star game. There's a lady walked up to me. She goes, have you heard about me? I'm like, I haven't heard about you. We know her. She's got some stuff coming against her. People are after her. I, I'm, I'm, I'm setting up. She's kind of standing there. I'm in the stands. I go, right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm kind of one eye open, one eye closed, kind of praying, all kinds of people around at the Little League field. I'm breaking off everything that's coming against you and any evil that's coming against you. I send it away. There is the spirit of living, and you know, I'm just breaking it off in that moment. And all of a sudden, I hear my wife, let's go, Jake. I'm like, oh, amen, you know? Let's not be a people that go all week and don't pray for someone. Let's don't be a people that go all week and don't eat with someone. Let's, go, let's don't go all week and not hear somebody's story. Let's don't go all week and learn how to celebrate with people. Let's don't go all week and not see the goodness and the power of God breaking out in people's lives. We have been called for such a time as this to minister in power, in love, and in hope. 
He's not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Power in the Holy Spirit. Love and in self-control. The third thing that happens in community is we get to see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out. Isn't it funny when someone has a need, they call someone to pray for them. They're like, we need to get another person with us because where two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there. That's not just for your intercessory prayer times. That is for you to have with you all the time. People agreeing and living and loving and caring and ministering into one another. Christians on mission in community. That we would live in such a way that the world will no longer disciple us. Faith into doubt, love into insecurity, community to individualism, generosity to greed, rest to exhaustion. No, we will be a people that are so rested in the Lord. Stress is gone because we've aligned our lives. We would be so generous with our love, our money, our time, that we are not hungry for the next deal to go through. We're just going to give it away. We're generous people who live in community, who are deeply rooted in love, not in insecurity. And we have a great sense of faith and not doubt. That's the call for us as people on mission that we would have deep conviction, that we would respond. The reason we under respond is because we continue to try to manage our response to the Lord. Your job is not to manage your own response, and it's definitely not your job to manage other people's responses to the Lord. Can we just let loose of the idea that we would quit calculating our likability? Well, if I do this, so-and-so will like me. If I do this, so-and-so will like me. If I do that, well, I don't want to do that. Let's just respond Freely, openly, in faith, living out the kingdom of God. And we will see miracles, goodness, love, hope, and joy birth forth all around us. For we are a people on mission, called to live beyond where we are now. Wherever you're at now, God wants you to live beyond that moment. Our faith is not about wise and persuasive words. Our faith is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Acts 17, Paul argued with the church at Mar, the people at Mars Hill, and they did not believe. He argued, used poetry, used their stuff, apologetics to the end, intellectualism to the end, and they did not convert. He leaves and goes from Acts 17 to Acts 18. He goes to Corinth. And if you flip over to 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, it's not with wise and persuasive words that I'm coming to you because I just left Mars Hills and it didn't work. I'm coming with you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's why we have no letter in the New Testament says the letter to Mars Hill. We have a letter to Corinth, Ephesus, Philippians, Thessaloniki. We have all these letters, but there's no letter to to, to Mars Hill. Why? Because they didn't believe. Because they were waiting for intellectualism to convince them to move. I submit to you, it's not intellectualism that causes you. It's the power of God that will change the life. It's the power of God that heals broken people. It's the power of God that wants to move in and through you to see the glory of God established in this day. It's the kingdom of God breaking in. It's the already not yet. It's you and I laying hands, preaching the gospel, seeing the dead raised, the sick come to life. It's you and I no longer shrinking back, but pressing forward. We're galvanized on the outside. We're soft on the 
the inside, embracing and loving and winning a people to the kingdom of God. 